Thanks, Dave. Good morning. Hey, we're going to be in Psalms chapter 2. If you want to turn your Bibles there, please. Psalms chapter 2. And then maybe put a finger in 2 Timothy chapter 4, because we'll be flipping to that as well. <clears throat> Sometimes I come to Team Kid, and uh, Mike Shannon does the sword, sword drills. And there are a few times I came, and, and I, I tried to race the kids. Sword, oh, sword drills. What are, what are sword drills? Sword drills are the drills that they, they close their Bible. They're in front of them. They're ready to go. And, and Mike will give them a verse to go to. So they say, you know, Psalm 2-1, charge. And they open their Bibles as fast as they can and find it and open it. And, and they step out when they, when they have it. So <clears throat> I was pretty fast, but uh, some of those kids were faster. It's pretty good. Pretty neat to see that they know where the scriptures are in the Word. And that's something we're going to continue as we, we uh, go through the series. We want you to bring your Bible and we want you to open it and to read it and to underline in it, to highlight in it, whatever it might uh, work for you. Uh, and, and if you're one of those that doesn't like to do that, that's fine, too. You can follow along in your Bible, and you don't have to put pen to paper at all, okay? Um, we are in Psalm 2 today. We're, we're continuing our series, uh, Unavoidable, Believing the Gospel. And we talked about it several times already, but I'll continue this. That unavoidable are the things that are closed-hand things, uh, things that make us who we are, that make the gospel what it is, things that we must embrace and believe about the Word of God and about us and about God. And uh, those are the things we're going through. We started a couple weeks ago with uh, the first week was the creator, right? Or the cre- and we talked about God being our creator. That Elohim, the creator, the self-existent one, created us in his image for his glory. And as he created us for his image or in his image for his glory, uh, he also gave us a choice. As Adam and Eve were in the garden, he gave us that choice whether or not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they chose to eat. And that choice is something that I didn't really highlight much last, uh, last week. But that choice is important to understand something. We are not robots created by God. We are not, we are not robots that just do exactly what he wants us to do. He's given us a will. Remember, we're created in his image with a will, with a choice. Now, God sure invades us and God, God uh, coaxes us and draws us near and woos us to himself. But the choice is ours whether or not we accept or reject the Messiah. And scripture told us that when Adam and Eve rejected and disobeyed and sinned by eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they chose sin and sin entered the world, death entered the world. And from that one man's sin, Adam, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Last week we learned about the fall, right? Once the fall happened, sin entered the world, death entered the world. And that we are all helpless. At the end of that message we said, but Jesus, right? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. There is hope that's on the horizon. Today, as we, as we continue, we're, we're looking at Psalm 2, and we're going to go into some other scriptures. We're talking about the idols. Week 3 is the idols. Uh, here are your main points. Uh, can you unclear that for me, Davey? These are your main points for the scripture today. And I want you to you can write them down. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about wandering, right? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. That's, that's the song. That's the idea of this message, that we're, we're wanderers. We were created in God's image, we were image bearers, and then we've sinned and fallen short of God's glory, and now we continue in, in life, and what this life has in store for us oftentimes is temptation and wandering. So we're going to look at that progress and what, and what, what it looks like to wander and, and the times that we're prone to wander. The, these five points are those times when we are prone to wander. And I think we can see those evident in our friends' lives, and we can see those evident in our lives, at least some of these, and there's, there's a challenge for us to say, how do we get back where God wants us to be? How do we get where God wants us to be and, and on the 
on the path of true faith uh, where, where he wants us. We call these idols or they're more like vain pursuits, things we pursue to fulfill that can never really fulfill. All right, so let's get prayed up and we'll get to work, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for Jesus. It's, it's why we come to church. It's why we come as the church to worship and to celebrate what he's done in our life. It's not about our works. It's not about how good we are or how good we've been or what we've accomplished. <clears throat> it's about how dirty we are and how righteous you are and how mighty to save you are. We thank you for that. We ask today as we look at your scripture that your word would impart wisdom to us. You give us strength to obey it, wisdom to discern it, God, encouraged to apply it. We pray in Jesus' good name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, we're in Psalm chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And we're going to flip over to 2 Timothy and then to Romans. So if you want to be working ahead, it's kind of it's on your list as well on the, on the sermon notes. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1. Why do the nations rebel and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers conspire together against the Lord and his anointed one. Let us tear off their chains and free ourselves from their restraints. I want us to understand something. As, as we looked last week, we looked at the fall, that when we fell, there was this, this idea and notion of pride. Like when Adam and Eve sinned, they could become God, right? They could be like God was a temptation. And that is the temptation that we face every day, that we would be the ones sitting on the throne of our lives, that we would be in control. I, I'm a control freak, right? I know this. I battle this all the time. Stop being in control, Brandon. Stop micromanaging, Brandon. Just have faith, right? Now, I want to use the gifts God's given me as an administrator, but I don't want to lord it over somebody or rule over somebody or, or make it look like I'm better than somebody else. But the rulers of the earth, the, the men and women of the earth said, listen, we're, we're, we're in charge here. We're the ones in charge. And, and the psalmist wrote this. He said, why do the nations rebel? Why do the peoples plot in vain? There was this coming against the Lord and against his anointed, Jesus Christ, right? The Messiah that would come. We saw that from last week. That, that in Genesis chapter 3, Satan, there was a plan against Satan from God. That Satan would eventually be crushed by the seed of the woman, the Messiah, the, his anointed one. But after that, there's, there's this opportunity to have faith. And to trust and look forward to the coming of Christ. But what, what do we do? Well, the people plot in vain. Right? The rulers, uh, the nations rebel. The kings set up their kingdoms to, to command and to, to move and to have motion to their own success. But they do it in vain. And, and what it, here's what it means for us. It means that we're like them and we do those things in vain as well. We try to wrap our mind and our heart around this is, this is the way to go. And sometimes we set ourselves up as in charge of our life. And, and that we've got it all together. I have the answers. If I just do this, I'll be okay. And God's sitting there, why are you doing this in vain? I'm right here. I'm right here. Just embrace me. Just have faith in me. And, and we tend to have faith more in ourselves, in our own abilities. Right? That's part of this thing too. You know, have you ever, you know, you probably have you have children or if you've been in a work environment where you're good at something and it kind of gets delegated or you need to delegate it to somebody else and they're not quite as good at it it's like okay well and i've had to do that a lot you know in youth ministry i had to do that and let people let people go for it 
And then when I had interns, I had to do it. And then when I became a social pastor and I had to leave the youth ministry altogether, it's like, hey, this is, this is somebody else's now. I, I can't be in control of this. We have a problem with that, though, right? We want to be in control. We want to have the power. We want to have it our way. And God's like, let, let me have it my way. I'm God. I am the Lord. And you're plotting against the Lord and his anointed. And that's never a good thing to do, amen? We should not plot against him. Even in view of the truth of the anointed, we still are prone to wander. Even in view and the truth of the anointed, of Jesus, the Messiah, in view, we are still prone to wander. So let's look at these observations today. Flip over uh, to 2 Timothy chapter 4. These observations today are about uh, times that we are prone to wander. Times we are prone to wander. Uh, The first one I had on my point up there was this, that we're prone to wander when we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Now, I want to I comment on something because someone said this uh, last week and, and uh, this week. I said, Brandon, you have a lot of, it looks like a lot of the same scriptures in your, in your side margin of your notes. Well, they're similar, and some of them are the same. Listen, as we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the story of God in our lives, there are things that we have to reemphasize and reemphasize and reemphasize. There are things that are true every single message and sermon that we ever preach. There are times, I, I, and I don't know if you feel this at all, there are times that I feel like I've said the same thing eight sermons in a row. Like, are they going to catch on and preaching the same thing? Right? But I'm not. I'm preaching something different. But the truths of Scripture don't change. They're timeless. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, so his word is as well. So we are obviously going to preach and, and teach the Bible, and we're going to hear the Bible. We're going to read the Bible. And when we do, there's going to be overlap. But it's overlap because it's the gospel, and the gospel message of Jesus Christ is the overlapping theme of Scripture. And that's the beauty of it, okay? So we will, we will see things we've seen before. Uh, and this, this idea that we exchange the truth of God for a lie, I think I've said it in the first sermon and, and last week, and I'm saying it again. People exchange the truth of God for a lie. So when we want to wander, we start to wander, we'll start to exchange the truth of God for the lie. Why? You say, why? You know, this is this, this idea. Why would we have this truth and then throw it aside? Well, this is a verse we used last week. Why? Because the heart is more deceitful than anything else and desperately sick. That's why if we, if we get that, if we can wrap our hearts around that, then we can begin to move forward from it. But if we, if we sit there and say, oh, I don't really don't think that's true. I don't, I don't wander much. I'm pretty good. I'm basically pretty good. You are fooling yourself and starting to exchange the truth of God for a lie. When sin entered the world, death entered the world. And you and I are not exempt from that. We are not immune uh, to that. We, we are we are so affected by that. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and desperately sick. So let's go to 2 Timothy. I've got to turn there too. You already, see, you beat me there. Good job. After that, we're going to go to Romans. If you want to be ready for that. Oh, come on, Brandon. There it is. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 2 through 5. Paul exhorts Timothy. He says, Proclaim the message. Persist in it, whether convenient or not. So we're talking about that truth in view. We ought to have a truth that's in view, right? That God wants us to, to see his message, to see his anointed. It's here. It's right there for the taking. It's in view. Proclaim the message, whether it's convenient or not. Rebuke, correct, and encourage with great patience and teaching. This is a very important thing for those of you who like to rebuke people in their lives and judge people. Do it with what? Patience, great patience and teaching. 
great patience in teaching. Verse 3, for a time or for the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine. Why? Because the fall. When sin entered the world, death entered the world. The heart is desperately wicked, right, or sick. They will not tolerate sound doctrine, but according to their own desires will accumulate teachers for themselves because they have an itch to hear something new. They will turn away from hearing the truth and will turn aside to myths. But as for you, that's for us now, right? That's as for you, and this is for Timothy. But I want us to, to understand that there, there is a time, that time is now, that people will turn aside from truth. They'll embrace myths because they want to have their ears tickled, is what this is saying. They want to feel good about themselves. They want to feel good about themselves. What does Scripture say about ourselves? That we are desperately sick, and we can't feel good about ourselves. And the reality of that should sink in. And when it does, I'm in a humbled state. I'm in a place where I can embrace the Savior now. I'm in a place where I need the Savior. If I've got it all together and I want to I surround myself with people that tickle my ears and make me feel good, I have no need for a Savior because I feel great. And that's what they're doing. But as for you, let's go on there. Verse number five. But as for you, keep a clear head about everything. Right, we got to think through it. God gave us a mind to reason and think through. But it should stem from this, that my heart is desperately sick in need of a Savior. Keep a clear head about everything. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. When the going gets tough, pray. When the going gets tough, endure. When the going gets tough, embrace Jesus. Embrace the word. You know, we, we say, you know, I, well, I, what, what, doesn't make me, what doesn't beat me up or doesn't kill me makes me stronger. That's a me phrase. Now, I, I know we see in James that, that those trials produce endurance, right? It makes us buff, but there's a faith, there, those are faith trials. Faith trials can make us stronger in our faith if we have faith during our trials. If we abandon faith during our trials because it's not comfortable, we're not enduring anymore. We're getting scars and baggage and we're setting ourselves up. To be, to be a wanderer. Pride creeps in. It says it's something more that we need to, to look at. It's something, it's something in you that you need to set up as, as God instead of actually imbuing the truth. Uh, go back to Romans. Let's go to Romans chapter 1. Hey, Eric, can we get these lights down again? I'm like so bright and so hot right now. Whoa, thank you. Chapter 1, verse 20. Uh, through 23. From the creation of the world is, that is God's invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made. So again, truth in view based on creation. We can see God. His, his truth is there. Reality is there. It's him. As a result, people are without excuse because truth's right there. Verse 21, for though they knew God, the truth, they did not glorify him as God or show, show gratitude. So everything around them that should point them to Jesus, should point them to a creator, they just ignored. Said, that? No, that's not it. Instead, their thinking became nonsense, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be, be wise, right, there's a pride thing. I want to be wise. I'm smart. I've got it all together. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And here's what happens. 
When we decide that we're in charge, that we know what's right, that, that we have it figured out, that God's not really in view anymore, we become senseless and darkened minds. We, in verse 23, exchange the, truth of the, or exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. We said, I'm going I'm to exchange what God has revealed of himself and worship the idols. I'm going to worship something different. I'm going to exchange the truth of God for a lie. And it, and it goes on to say that in verse 25, and we'll get there in a minute. Uh, keep, your, keep your finger on uh, Romans chapter 1. Pride creeps in, and although God has and is making himself clear, we desire our own way. We're like that rebellious teenager that we used to be. The rebellious teenager we used to be that what? Knew everything. Man, you know, when I was, when I was a teenager, when I was in the middle of that, I did not see that. I, didn't, I could not see that, that happening. Like, I did not see myself ignoring my dad or my mom. I did not see myself like, treating them like I knew everything, but I, now I do. Looking back, I'm like, wow, I was really a punk, right? I really thought I knew everything. And, and listen, that's, that's true of, of, of relationships between uh, children and, and parents. But for you and I, who are right here, who may not be able to see it, we sometimes treat God that way too. He is our Father. He knows the answers. He is the Creator. He is a good God. And we say, ah, God, I got this one. I got this one. My daughter is in that mode right now. She's not a teenager, but she's just, let me do it by myself. Let me do it by myself. I can do it, Daddy. Like, you're going to kill yourself, right? <laughs> you're going to actually fall off the banister. Like, so it's, it's just that balance, right, of parenting and guiding and letting them learn. But for you and I, to make that conscious choice and say, listen, I, God, I've got it figured out. I don't need you. is to become a wanderer and exchange the truth of God for a lie. Number two. Another time that we're prone to wander. Number two is this. When we worship a created thing rather than God. So not only have we now exchanged the truth of God for the lie. Like, oh God, this is your truth. I shouldn't break it, but I like what I've got better going on. Now we're exchanging and worshiping created things over God. So continue in Romans. Uh, we'll read verse 21 again and then jump down to 24 and 25. Though they knew God, they did not glorify him or show him gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense, and their senseless minds were darkened. Okay? Jump down to verse 20, 24. Therefore, God delivered them over to their cravings in their hearts, uh, to sexual impurity, so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and then here's the next part, and worshipped and served something created instead of the creator who is blessed forever. This is what they've done. They, they said, this idol, this image, this thing, this stuff is more important to me than God. It's, and, and here's what they're really saying. That these things satisfy and he doesn't. These things satisfy in a way that he can't. The truth is that only he can satisfy only God can satisfy. But we can have stuff become more important in our lives. Uh, flip over to the, the book of Acts. It's right after Romans, right? Book of Acts, chapter 17. No, it's before Romans. It's right before Romans. Acts 17, verse, uh, we're going to start at verse 16 and jump down to 22. This is a cool story. Now, I encourage you to read through this. That's why we printed it on the, on the notes. Go through and read these stories later in, in their entirety. Uh, Paul is, is in Athens. He's waiting for Timothy and Silas, and, uh, and he's, just, he's just grieved. He's just 
grieved. It says this uh, in verse 16 of, of chapter uh, 17. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was troubled within him when he saw that the city was full of idols. Paul goes to the city and looks around and says, whoa, whoa, there are so many idols, so many things that people are raising up to be more important than God, raising up and worshiping as God that can never satisfy and are only physically appealing or physically present, and that's why they're satisfying. And, and he was disturbed. There's a story of a, of a pastor who went over to India, and I, I think I've told this before, but they went over to India, and he was amazed, amazed and alarmed at the idolatry. He walked down the road and just see idol after idol after idol and, and uh, like little shrine or little um, altar after altar after altar. And he was just disturbed. And he, he, told the, he told the locals, he's like local pastor and their missionary, the, the, the people that worked in their ministry, I can't believe how many idols you have. And, and the locals in India who are Christians said, Pastor, I've been to New York City. We don't have as many idols as you do. You walk in up and down Main Street, and you see the idols, shop after shop after shop of stuff after stuff after stuff that, that is set up to be the thing that makes us content. Now, stuff's okay. I'm glad I bought a shirt, and I'm wearing that today. So are you, right? <laughs> but if stuff becomes what's most important, if I get a paycheck and can't wait to go shop and spend so I can be fulfilled by things, it's become an idol. Marketing, ad, ad, marketing and ad campaigns all over the world, especially in America, but all over the world, their, their sole purpose is to make you and I idol worshipers. They want to convince you that the truth of God is a lie and what really is going to satisfy is the thing they can provide. Every ad is the same. They want you to buy what you really don't need. They want you to want what you really can't what really won't satisfy you. And Paul saw this. So in verse 22, he's, he's talking with these people. Then Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are extremely religious in every respect. For I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship. I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. So they had all these altars set up, all these things to worship, all these, they're taking care of the God of this and the God of that and the God of that. And they're like, well, you know, while we're at it, in case we missed one, let's make an idol, a monument, that's, that's a tribute to the unknown God, the one we haven't quite figured out yet. Because we're sure there's something else out there. Well, that was kind of them, right? That was sure humble of them. And they did that. And then Paul says, therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God... Who made the world and everything in it? He is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in shrines made by hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives everyone life and breath and all things. Paul went to tell the people of Athens, listen, you've got it all wrong. All these little gods, they, they can't give you life and breath and all things. Only the one true creator God, Elohim Yahweh, the triune God, including Jesus Christ, the, his anointed. That's the only answer. That's the only way to be satisfied. Um, and and what, this, what this shows us, the picture of in Athens, is this endless 
religious, vain pursuit. We can pretend to be religious. We can pretend to have it all together. We can even come to church for the wrong reasons. And it can be an endless, it's endless because it will never, ever satisfy. It's religious because we continue to do it thinking it will. And it's a vain pursuit because we are in error and not embracing the truth. What we're embracing, we're embracing in vanity. It's meaningless. It's not worth anything. The religion and these idols that they set up weren't worth the stone they were carved in or the paper that they were written on. It's an endless, vain pursuit. Blaise Pascal, there's a quote by him, and it said this, that every human being inside of every human being is a God-shaped hole or God-shaped vacuum that can only be filled by God. And every one of us are longing to have that, that space, that emptiness filled. And what you and I need to understand is the only thing that fills is Jesus Christ. The only one that truly satisfies is Jesus Christ. So we wander, we're prone to wander when we worship created things rather than God. Flip over to 1 John. It's, it's towards the back of the Bible a little more. <clears throat> Just before Revelation. Chapter 2. So number 3 is this. We're prone to wander when we desire something else over God. And that's kind of what was set up. In, in putting up idols above God, we're trying to, we're trying to satisfy a desire, something uh, that will fulfill us, something else than God, right? Something else will, will give us the fulfillment we need. So 1 John, let's look at 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse, uh, verse 15 and 16. This is a great verse to underline in your Bible, to circle, to highlight. It says, do not love the world or anything that belongs to the world. So we've got these idols set up. We've got these things that are more important than God. And he's saying, don't love the world. Don't love those things. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Well, that's sad. Well, listen to why. Because everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but from the world. So what, what is causing us to desire things that are outside of God? It's the lust of the flesh, right? I, I need to feel a certain feeling. The lust of the eyes, I need to see and, and crave something, right? And then the lust of uh, the boasting of, of one's lifestyle, the pride of one's life. And that says, I, I have an ego. I, I'm, I'm macho. I'm good. I, I, I'm good enough. God's like, no, you're not. All those things come from the world. In verse 17, and the world with its lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. The one who lives in faith in God, trusting in God, Embracing God as his most sufficient need remains forever. I'm going to cruise over to James. It's, it's just back before that, a couple books. James chapter 1, starting in verse 13. <clears throat> I want to show you this progression. It's kind of this, this it's a model of, of like a flow chart of sin and, and desire. It starts in verse, uh, I said verse 13. No one undergoing a trial should say, I am being tempted by God. For God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But, in verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desires. And after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to to death. You see, these desires that aren't in check, these desires that really should be fulfilled by God and God alone, when we take the world's view and, and, and the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, when we pursue that angle, 
It leads to sin. It leads to death. There's nothing outside of the Lord Jesus Christ that can fulfill you or I. There's nothing that can fulfill. So why do we desire something else? Only in him do we live and move and have our being. And that leads us to the next wandering. We wander when, number four, we expect our goodness and efforts to earn God's favor. We wander when we start to expect that our goodness and our efforts will earn God's favor. Last week, we talked about the fall. We talked about the the fact that Adam and Eve were in the garden. It was perfect. They were in fellowship with God. They walked with God. They talked with God. It It was awesome. It was like the paradise you wanted to be at, right? The nice breezes in the evening. You're walking with God. It's awesome. They chose to sin. When sin entered the world, death entered the world, and this this lineage of death continued in. But God showed up and said, I am going to crush Satan. And by the seed of this woman, you will be rescued. Satan will be defeated. He will be crushed once and for all. And that began, that promise, began a lineage of righteousness that was by faith. That we could then, and, and all their descendants could then, have faith in God's promise and reach forward to the cross. And you and I can have faith in God's promise as we reach back to the cross. But whatever we do, it's in faith. It's reaching in faith towards the promise of God. And what we start seeing happen in the Old Testament are people making sacrifices. And there was a rule of order set up and God, God gave them like this, this operating manual. Well, and, and we didn't, they didn't even see that early on, but somehow God had established this with Cain and Abel because we see Cain and Abel, and this is in Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. You can read that on your own. They start to mix up. What starts getting mixed up is faith and works. Faith and works get mixed up, and that's what I'm talking about. Number four is this mix-up of faith and works. We think that what we do is sufficient to earn God's favor. So Cain and Abel, the, first, the sons of Adam and Eve, they come to offer a sacrifice to God. They don't offer a sacrifice to God to be saved. They're supposed to offer a sacrifice to God because God is saving them. right? By faith, they trust that God is saving them, so they offer a sacrifice. It's just, it's just a little backwards thing we have. So Abel comes, and he offers his sacrifice, and it's, it's first fruits. It's like, this is pleasing to God. I want to please God. I reach out in faith knowing that he is able to save. And he offers it, and God accepts it. Cain comes and offers what he offers and says, you know, here's my stuff. It's not necessarily the best, but here you go, God. I'm just marking it off on my checklist, making sure I get it all done before the day's over. Because obviously in his mind, in his heart, that act of works is sufficient enough to earn God's favor. God says, you know, Cain, that's, that's not acceptable. This is, in fact, sin because you didn't come to me out of faith. You came to me out of works righteousness. You, you came to me out of your own goodness. The first indication of sin in the Bible, it was either it was, it was faith or it was works. Now, works is present in all of Scripture. We see that faith without works is dead, but, but works is a response to the faith that we have. It's a reaction to what God has done in us. It's a response to his grace, I work. It's not something that I think will earn my position with God. And in scripture, that is not true at all. It will not be something that earns our position with God. And then we see Cain killed Abel because he was jealous and mad and angry that he didn't have a faith righteousness. But Cain began to expect his goodness and his efforts would earn favor with God. 
It's not about being a good person. Remember, the heart is desperately sick. You and I are not good people. God is good. And that's who we need to trust in. Faith is not a time card that we can punch. You say, oh, but God understands. He understands I'm trying my best. Yes, he does understand. He understands it so well that he died for you. He knew he would have to take your place. He would have to take my place. That's how well he understands that only by faith can we enter. Not by works, because none of us are good and none of us can measure up. Self-righteousness counts for nothing. It counts for nothing. Matthew 23, 27 says this, or it says that the religious leaders uh, were far from God. They were looking, looking at the outside of their, their bodies, and he called them whitewashed tombs. Like, you guys look good on the outside. You're doing all the right things. But on the inside, you're like a tomb. You're full of death and decay and bones. And these Pharisees, they didn't like how that sounded, right? Because they had it all together. They looked good, and they liked looking the part because it was about ego and pride and position. See, those who embrace a legalistic, um, the legalistic show, they try to pass that burden then on to other people. That's why some Christians, not all Christians, some Christians are looked upon as, as extreme hypocrites because they have a holier-than-thou attitude. Why? Because they're trying their best to do instead of letting what Jesus has already done be enough for them. They're trying to reach the cross through their works and through looking good, and that burden then is passed on to their friends around them because their friends around them understand that their heart is desperately sick and they cannot live up to that standard. In fact, he, uh, in Matthew 23, Jesus says that these people tie up heavy loads that are hard to carry and put them on people's shoulders, but they themselves aren't willing to lift a finger to move them. Like, look how good I am. You should be this good, and that becomes a burden a self-image burden, mostly, on somebody else. I can't measure up. I can't be in the same presence. Listen, if you can't measure up, please sit in the pew with us. Because we can't measure up either. And if you think you can measure up, get your act together. You can't. You are farthest from God than any of us. If you think you can measure up with your works and your actions and your self-righteousness. Because self-righteousness counts for nothing. But Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you are saved. Through faith, it is not of yourselves. Self-righteousness counts for nothing. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one, no one can boast. Live in faith in God through Christ and not of yourselves. Finally, we wander when we don't keep our eye on the prize. Exodus, second book in the Bible, Exodus. And turn there with me. Chapter 32, we don't keep our eye on the prize. There's a lot, lot to study. You can study about uh, the Israelites coming out of Egypt and being in the, in the wilderness and wandering, right, wandering. There's a lot you can study about that. But I want to look at this part where the, the, the spies were sent in. I'm sorry, we'll look at that in a minute. That's in Numbers 13. In Exodus, this is the part where, where Moses goes up on the mountain, okay? So we're looking at Exodus chapter 32. I'm going to read verse 1, and then we're going to jump down to 7. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us, because this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. I, I kind of like the lingo here. They say, this Moses. Yeah, this Mo Moses, the guy who you know, this is your leader. 
It's, not, it's like saying this, this Moses character, we can't really trust, I guess. He's gone. Let's do something else. Are you kidding me? He led you out of Egypt. You saw the power and might of God, and now you're wandering again because he's gone a little longer than you thought he should be. You want to create a God for yourself to worship. Keep your eye on the prize here. God is calling you to the promised land, and you're worried about what is present now and what is the need now. Jump down to verse 7. We'll read verses 7 through 9. The Lord spoke to Moses, Go down at once, for your people brought up, uh, you brought up from the land of Egypt have cor- acted corruptly. They have quickly turned from the way I commanded them. They have made for themselves an image of a calf. They have bowed down to it, sacrificed to it, and said, Israel, this is your God who brought you from the land of Egypt. The Lord also said to Moses, I have seen these people, and they are indeed stiff-necked people. Now, the story goes on, but man, you got some stiff-necked people there. People who want to keep their, or t- take their eye off the prize, and they turned from the way God had commanded them. In a short time, in a short while, this happens. And I don't know if you've experienced this before. You, you don't get in your word for a while, or you don't, you don't go to church for a while. You're not around uh, believers for a while. It gets real easy to start to turn a different way. It gets real easy to start to wander a different, a different path. And then we let pride, we embrace the God of pride and say, I'm, I'm too proud to go back. And really it's like I'm too ashamed, which means I'm too proud to go back. This is a place for the shameful. This is a hospital with sick, right? Jesus goes to those who need a doctor. That's why we're here, because we all need a doctor. Don't let shame keep you from coming back to the Lord and, and embracing him. And watch out that time won't take you away from him. Later in Numbers 13, there were spies that were sent, in, sent into the promised land. Go check it out. Go do some recon. Twelve came back, and two of them, only, only two of them said, yeah, let's go. Let's take the land. God's going to give it to us. Yes, they're big. Yes, it's scary. But God. Ten of them said, oh, we're scared. We're not, we're not going in there. Let's not do this. And God punished them in, to, to wander in the desert for 40 years because of their lack of faith. Because they turned away from the prize. They, kept, they, they turned their eye from the prize, and they embraced something different. And Paul in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 21, he, he says that wandering is about taking the, our eyes off of Jesus and focusing ourselves on earthly things. So maybe you're a wanderer. Maybe you're feeling like a wanderer today. Maybe you realize how far from God you really are. Or maybe you realize how much you've misplaced your faith in him. And maybe it's a little bit and maybe it's a lot. But I want to leave you with this last verse. And this will be something we talk about next week as well as as Hoyt brings the message. Here's, Here's what it says. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way. And the Lord... Right, but God has punished him, that is his anointed, that is Jesus Christ, for the iniquity of us all. Listen, we have all gone astray. We've all wandered. But God has placed the punishment of our sin on Jesus. And our hope is in Jesus. And we celebrate because of Jesus. It's all about him. Amen? All right, let's stand up and pray together. Father, thank you so much for your love, for your grace. Thank you for your word that is is so living and active and powerful. Father, I ask that you would give us wisdom and discernment today. Let us look at our hearts, let us look at our lives and see all the places we've wandered and gone astray.
We ask that we would place our trust in Jesus who took the punishment for our sin. The shame has been removed because of Jesus. He took all the shame. We thank you for that. Keep us close to you that we would be reaching towards the cross every day having faith in the finished work of God through Christ. And we pray in his good name. Amen. As we sing today, it's our opportunity to respond to him, to sing it out, whatever, whatever's on your heart. If you need to pray, I'll be down here. If you want to pray where you're at, pray. Just respond to God, sing it out, celebrate a good and faithful God. Let's sing.